as you know, we're in this series, Unhurried, Slowing Down and Finding Life, and I was, you know, we're, we're all kind of talking about this all uh, the last few weeks, and my sister sent me a little TikTok video that I thought was so perfect for explaining exactly how this works and why being unhurried is so important. So I want you to pay attention to this little girl. All right, here she is. Check her out. Tortoises are slow. You know why they're slow? Because no. they want to see stuff. And the better way, if you want to see more stuff every day, is to go slow. Really? Yeah. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> well, and fast, you only see like half the stuff that you need to see. Really? Really. So if you go really slow, you can see more things? Like this. Just go like this. Because then you can see more stuff. And like, look, I never realized my slipper, but my, my two pairs of slippers were there. I went slow so I could see more. The wisdom of a child. I know this is true because I have uh, several kids in my house and they're running past their shoes all the time, leaving them in the hallway. I don't know what this is, but here's what I want you to see. We're talking about these ideas about slowing down because we've lost our way. We've lost our way to understand what Jesus wants for us. We can't see what he wants because we're going too fast. We can't do what he wants because we're going too fast. There's too much that we're doing. We've tried to take on too much and we've got to find a way to be more like Jesus in, and his pace. If there's anything you get from reading the Gospels, the, in the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament, they're the story of Jesus. If there's anything you get when you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's that Jesus was never in a hurry. We've been quoting Dallas Willard through this series, brilliant author and theologian. He says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Can you imagine Jesus being stressed out? Like think about Jesus, can you imagine him being stressed out and snapping at Mary Magdalene? I can't believe you dropped the hummus. Can you, can you see him sighing and saying to himself, oh, that was a hard day. I need some, I need some wine around here. All I have is water. Can you, can you imagine Jesus? Can you picture him like texting while you're talking to him? Yeah, uh-huh, keep going. Uh, kind of a half uh-huh every 30 seconds, uh-huh. Why don't you check out Thaddeus, my assistant? I'll send him to you. Make, he's, he's, he's a guy nobody's ever heard of, but I'll get Thaddeus on it right away. Can you hear him saying, I'm sorry, I'd love to heal your leg, but I gotta catch a plane. I'm doing TEDx in Jerusalem tomorrow and I just, I gotta go. Can you imagine Jesus saying, talk to my assistant Judas. 
We'll see if we can squeeze you in. No, none of these things make sense to us. You can never see Jesus saying one of those phrases. Why not? Because he was never, never in a hurry. It didn't mean he didn't work hard, didn't mean he didn't have long hours, but Jesus was never in a hurry. One time, he had a close friend named Lazarus, and Lazarus was really, really, really sick, like life and death problem, and Jesus got the message that he was in trouble, and so we find these words in John 11, six through seven, he says, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. In another story, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue when this guy Jairus literally fell at Jesus' feet, begging him to come and, and heal his little girl who was also at the point of death. Again, another life and death situation, right? So here's life and death hanging in the balance, but Jesus, on the way, was interrupted by a woman with a 12-year-old bleeding disease. Like she'd been in trouble for 12 years. She's interrupted Jesus. It's this really sweet picture where Jesus takes time and kneels down and takes care of her and heals her. But can you imagine how Jairus must have felt when that happened? You know, it's like me at a checkout line at HEB. And the guy in front of me can't figure out how to do the thing. And I'm just like, You know there's a whole line here. You're not the only person in the universe. You ever do that? Sorry, that's, maybe that's just me. <laughs> Jairus could have, he was standing there, you know, he had gone to talk to Jesus, and now Jesus is taking time with all these other people. He's like, life and death over here, hello. This story always amazes me because Jesus was just so present in the moment. He was present in every moment. We find him caring for people, taking care of them, looking at what's happening. And this, wasn't, this was not a, like a one-off set of stories. This happened all the time. Jesus' schedule was full, but in a good way, yet he never came off hurried. This, this kind of rootedness in the moment and connectedness to God and to people and even connectedness to himself, right? They weren't the byproducts of Jesus' temperament or his laid-back attitude or even a pre-internet world. They were the outgrowths of a way of life. A way of life. A whole new way to be human that Jesus is putting on display for you and I to see, to pattern our lives after. Think with me about Jesus' lifestyle for a few moments. Jesus made sure that he had a healthy dose of margin in his life. It's been said that margin, right, is the space between our load and our limits. You ever heard that? It's the space, the margin is the space between our load and our limits, but for many of us, there's no space between our load and our limits. We fill it up every time. We're not living at 80%. We're living at 100% all the time. I'm just going, 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 going. It's like I never have a moment. But Jesus' schedule was what John Mark Comer, the author of um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he calls it a prophetic resistance 
a prophetic resistance against the hurried rhythms of our world. And I think, I think we have to see, we have to peer into the life of Jesus. We can't just read the stories and not see how he regularly got up early and went off to a quiet place to be with his father. He would disappear and go overnight, and his disciples didn't know where to look for him. More than once we read about Jesus sleeping, sleeping in, and the disciples trying to find him or waking him up. <laughs> I like this Jesus. Like, I'm a sleep-in guy. I wanna follow a Jesus that's not hurried. I want my life to not feel so hurried. Every chance he got, he would enjoy a nice long meal with friends. He would create space for in-depth conversations about highs and lows in life. He would tell stories. He practiced Sabbath every single week. He practiced it. Now, to be fair, it wasn't every single week. Occasionally, he would intentionally violate the Sabbath just to get under the skin of the religious leaders. But that's another sermon. Listen, Jesus practiced simplicity before it was cool. You know, everybody's looking for this. Everybody's talking about how to find this in our culture. Jesus was practicing this before it was cool. He was a complete minimalist. Just the clothes on his back. He really did live freely and lightly. Jesus displayed an unhurried life where space for God and love for people were priority. And because he was always saying yes to his father and the kingdom work that he called him to, he was having to say no to a whole bunch of other things. And this is where we get in trouble. We don't know how to say no. The yes of Jesus is not big enough to confront all the no's that we have to embrace. You look at the life that Jesus lived and we have to consider, are we followers of him? How do we follow what Jesus did? How do we follow him to be a disciple or maybe more accurately, an apprentice? Everybody say that word, apprentice. An apprentice of Jesus means that you look at the life Jesus lived and you take his life and teachings as your template for your life, your model of life. Now last week we said, if you want the life Jesus offers, you simply need to adopt his lifestyle. If you want the life of Jesus, you must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And our key verse has been this beautiful this beautiful passage in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, it says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you, what does it say? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is Jesus saying? What is he getting at with this strange imagery of a yoke? When you think about it, it's bizarre language for an invitation to find rest. Because yokes are for farming, right? Farming is work, not rest. But what Jesus is getting at is there's a different way to work. 
There's a different way to think about your life. There's a different way to act. There's a different way to live. Frederick Dale Bruner, a top scholar on the Gospel of Matthew, gives us insight into this paradox of an easy yoke. I want you to read this with me. It'll be on the screen. It says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount or his yoke, his way of living, his way of teaching, will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Listen, Jesus doesn't offer escapes, he offers equipment. So what is this equipment? Well, ever since Jesus walked the earth, all of his disciples who followed him began to develop and embrace his habits. What were Jesus' habits? And they, for centuries, all the way through the Christian history, the pattern of Jesus has been referred to as spiritual disciplines. Oh, I just lost you. Spiritual disciplines. Author and pastor John Ortberg helps us to get comfortable with these words by describing them and defining them this way. He says, spiritual definition is any activity that can help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it. For some people, the word discipline conjures up all kinds of images of calisthenics and workouts and military people and all this, even in the church world, it's kind of got a negative connotation, uh, legalism or some of these things, but it's not that at all. I think we need to recapture the essence of what the word apprentice actually means. If we're an apprentices of Jesus, we have to embrace the practices of Jesus. What are those practices then? Most of us have lost sight of the fact that the way of Jesus is just that. It's a way of life. It's not just a set of ideas that we might call theology. It's not just a set of ethics, right? It's not just do's and don'ts. I mean, it is that, right? There is theology, there, is eth- there are ethics, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more of what comes into your life and you begin to act in a way that is your lifestyle. Your life is a byproduct of your lifestyle. You don't eat good food, you eat fast food, you eat chips and dip and queso every day and your lifestyle is going to tank. But what's weird is we do it anyway, don't we? It's like, wow, like 21 days of prayer and fasting was really good because I started not eating things I normally eat. I think we have to learn not to let our appetites control our every move. This is the way Jesus lived. And so rhythms and routines must be established. 
the way you organize your time, spend your money, choose your friends, work, rest, play, all these have to come down to how did Jesus do it? Again, John Erkberg describes it this way. He says, following Jesus simply means learning from him how to arrange my life and activities that enable me to live in the fruit of the Spirit. Check that out. Arranging my life around activities that enable me. See, here's the problem. So many of us, we just want to add Jesus as a side dish. I got my dinner. I got my breakfast. I got my lunch. I'll bring Jesus in. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. I move on. I think it's so important to understand we have to figure out how Jesus was a first century single Jewish rabbi, (laughs) not a 21st century parent. So he wasn't a a 21st century account manager, or a student pastor, or a professional dog trainer. He wasn't any of these things. So we have to imagine and transpose a little bit how his life can become our lives. Jesus wasn't a dad, but I am, right? So I'm a dad to Zach, to Taylor, to Grace, to Ethan, and to Owen, all right? And so, but I imagine, what's wrong? Did I get them all? Yeah. Usually I say them in the wrong order, depending on whom I talk to. And the per- whoever I'm talking to gets to be last. But it's, it's these five kids. And he, if Jesus were a dad, I think he would spend a lot of time with them. So I try to do that as an act of my apprenticeship to Jesus. I try to, I try to lovingly be a dad like Jesus would have, even though he didn't ever have any kids. If you're a new wife or mother, Jesus was neither one of those, so your driving question must be, how would he do this? How would he do this? What kind of attitude would he have? What kind of actions would he take? Maybe you're working on a high-rise condo development in downtown Austin. How would Jesus design the community? Could Jesus work through you at your work to make your work even better. Of course, you get the gist of what I'm saying, but for many, for many people, I think Jesus would slow way down if he were doing what you were doing. He would slow way down if he were pastoring you. What we're really talking about is a rule of life. Everybody say that word with those words with me. Rule of life. Say it one more time. Rule of life. Now, lots of people in the self-help world have gotten excited about something called a fixed hour schedule. Now, now I'm meddling. Now, now, don't check out on me here. All right, a fixed hour schedule. Basically, you write up the ideal day or week or month that you want on a blank calendar. You start with all your top priorities. What are your top priorities? Here's what I, here's the secret. You gotta start with the spiritual disciplines. They go first if you're an apprentice of Jesus, then sleep. Sleep is second? What? Exercise, work, play, reading, margin, and, and you really try to stick to it. That's what most people do. Most people don't realize it, but this idea started not in the marketplace, but in a monastery. 
It wasn't invented a decade ago or even a millennium ago. It was where monastic orders often were embraced by entire communities and they chose to do life together around a rule of life, which is, if you want the definition, a schedule and a set of practices to order your life around the way of Jesus in community. Just keep that up there, Tulu. People want to write this down or take a picture of it because this is the hard part. (laughs) It took us four messages to get to the really hard stuff. Everything up to now has been, yes, I really want that life. Oh, what you're describing, I just want it so bad. I just want to slow down. Oh, here we are. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where the tough stuff starts to happen. Here's where you begin to bend your will to Jesus and his will. Here's where you begin to surrender your schedule to Jesus and you adopt his schedule. It was a way, it was a way that they designed to keep from getting sucked into the hurry, the busyness, the noise, the distraction of regular life and a way to slow down, a way to really live into what matters. Jesus called it abiding. Abiding, John 15, we'll read it here. John 15, one through eight says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. I've always thought this was the craziest verse. You wanna know what the reward is for abiding with Jesus? Pruning. Yay. But pruning has a purpose, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you, Jesus says to his disciples. So he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, what does it say? Nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, a few thoughts about this. The word rule comes from the Latin word regula, Regula, which literally means a straight piece of wood. Think, um, think a ruler, okay, like a ruler. But it was also used for the word trellis. Trellis. You guys know what a trellis is? What's underneath every, every thriving vine? What's underneath it? A trellis. A structure to hold up the vine so it can grow and bear fruit. Do you see the illustration? Do you see the word picture? What a trellis is to vine and branches that holds it up, that gives it room to grow, that keeps it from just being in a pile on the ground, is the rule of life is to abiding. 
What a trellis is to a vine and branches, a rule of life is to abiding, a structure, in this case, a schedule and a set of practices to set up abiding as the central pursuit of our lives. It's the way to organize your life around the practice of God's presence, to work and rest and play and eat and drink and hang out with your friends for sure and run errands and catch up on the news, all out of deep, loving enjoyment of Jesus himself, life in the spirit and the Father's grace. But you have to have the trellis if you're gonna bear fruit. If a vine and branches have no trellis, they will die. And if your life with Jesus doesn't have some kind of structure to facilitate health and growth, it will wither away. Following Jesus has to make it onto your schedule and into your practices or it will never happen. Apprenticeship to Jesus will remain an idea, a nice idea, a beautiful idea, but not a reality in your life. So practices for apprentices, I'm gonna give you four here today and we'll end, okay? Four, four practices. These are like, these are like super basic. Like these are like, the, this is, these are like the baby steps, right, of apprenticeship with Jesus. I call them practices for apprentices. These, this is where I want you to start, okay? And you're gonna be embarrassed by how simple they are. But very often, you don't need to hear new things from me, you need to hear the old things said again and again. That's what we all need. And so, here it is, there are many practices, and we're gonna deal with a couple of them, two or three of them next week and the week after, okay? So we got more practices coming, but here's the first four, here's what they are. Jesus prayed, prayer, who would have guessed? Jesus read the scriptures, Jesus shared his life with a small group. Jesus served others. Take a picture. Take a picture. This is where we all start. This is where we all start. Write it down. Take the picture. You know, it's, it's actually better. You can follow on message notes on this thing if you use the QR code. But anyway, that's another thing. Look, here, so here's, here's what I want to say to you. <laughs> Carefully listen to what I'm gonna say. First, Jesus spent a lot of time praying and engaging with his heavenly father. It's like he was always on. He was always having the conversation. But he would purposefully disappear. Just as I said a few minutes ago, he would disappear for hours or days. We find in Mark 1.35, he got up early. It says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Every day. Prayer takes us out of the realm of what we can do and into the realm of what God can do. And in order to do that, you have to engage in it in a consistent manner. And it has to be part of your schedule. It has to be a, a thing that happens because you're, not because it's a duty or an obligation, but because it gives, it gives a a trellis, a structure for the vine and the branches to begin to mature and to grow, for fruitfulness to begin to come into your life in a spiritual way. And that's what's so powerful about it. It must be a priority in our lives and in our community. Did you know you could pray all day long? Okay, so don't, don't, under, don't, don't undervalue that. You can have conversation with God all day long, but what I fear 
is that most of us rely on that as kind of the only way we ever engage with him. A moment of need, a problem, an issue, a concern, a b- no. Prayer is engaging with the best friend you've ever had in Jesus, in your heavenly Father who loves you more than life itself and was willing to let Jesus give his life and the Holy Spirit, this Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, prayer is getting together with them in their own small group. That's the power of the gospel is there was a a group of people not people, a group of beings that wanted you to be included in what they were doing. And they included you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what prayer is. Second, Jesus read, memorized, and meditated on and prayed the scriptures. He prayed the scriptures. We need the word of God to live deep within us. This is why I believe in the daily Bible reading. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. Daily Bible reading plan, we're all doing it. We're doing this story on the YouVersion app. You can check it out. It's actually in your message notes right here. And you can check out the link. It's called One Story That Leads to Jesus. It's beautiful. It's from the Bible Project. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, people, look at me, look at me. Reading the Bible every day, you will be amazed. At first, it'll be like, this is awesome. And then a couple weeks after that, you're like, I guess I gotta read the Bible again, and you do it. But what happens once you make it part of your life is you will be astounded at how often what you read this morning has an impact on what happened that day. I'm telling you, it is incredible, and that's the work of God. You're creating a trellis, a schedule, a a way in which you're living like Jesus. Third, Jesus lived his life within the context of a small group of friends that he shared his life with. Check it out, he had really close friends. Who were they? Peter, James, and John. He kind of took them everywhere he went. He, went. he was hardest on them. They were more confused about him than anybody else. Um, he had a small community that he did life with, his disciples, Mary, Mary Martha, Lazarus, uh, uh, several others. This was his community. Jesus actually led a large organization, 70 people and their families and sent them on kingdom work. Listen to me, you can't really be part of the vision of one chapel or any church unless you're in a small group. You can't, it doesn't work. Because this faith that we're all practicing, this faith that we're trying to live out, it really was designed to be lived out in community, not in isolation. That's why the last two years have been so hard because everybody's trying to live it out in isolation. And it's not like that's new, but like that's, a, that's, a, that's an American concept. I have my personal faith. Please don't, I don't share it with anyone else. What? That's not what Jesus did. He, he, he practiced the, see, what we, you and I have to do is we need a group of people that we're gonna practice the ways of Jesus with. If you don't have people that you're gonna practice the ways of Jesus with, it's really hard to get close to him. You need a place where you can be fully known and truly loved anyway. Fully loved and truly known anyway. Today's group leader training, bunch of you ought to go in there because you can tell on the inside when it was announced earlier, you gotta go. 
Don't hesitate. Don't pull back. Finally, fourth, the fourth practice of Jesus is serving others. It was his lifestyle to serve. He, he just took care of people when he saw them. Hey, did you know there's homeless people that are out here a lot of Sundays on the corner? Have you ever noticed them? Yeah. When you drive by, it's a good microcosm of how we drive by a lot of people. We walk by a lot of people that are in need because we got somewhere to go. It's like the little girl. You gotta walk slower so you can see the slippers. You gotta walk slower so you can see the soul that's standing there on the corner. And maybe even make sure that you carry cash with you because every other time you go by, you reach out the window and help them. Why not? It's an act that serves somebody. Well, I don't know about how they got there. And I'm at, actually, there's no verses about how people got into the poor position they've gotten into. There's no verses that say, if they got it only this way, then you can help them. Serving becomes a way of life. This is why we believe in Team One. Team One, now, now here, here it comes. Team One is the way we practice serving. We practice serving each other so that it'll spill out in the rest of our lives, in our neighborhoods, and in our, at work. And we're just, we're just starting to be aware. And when you practice being aware of everything that's going on around you, and you walk slow, and you're not hurrying, and you're not trying to make stuff happen all the time in your own strength, but you're serving people and their needs, and you're spotting them, suddenly you become a light in your neighborhood or in your workplace that is unlike anything you've ever experienced before. But you gotta practice. Because I'm going to give you a little secret. You stink at it. Almost everybody, almost every human stinks at serving other people. That's why you've got to train the kids to do it. My kids are still not trained. They still leave their shoes all over the house for other people to trip on. It's a training process. That's what Team One is about. If you really want to be trained in serving people, if you really want to develop a lifestyle of serving, you will Find areas that you consistently serve, and Team One can be your first family place that you serve. We need practice. Here it is. Let's do this together. Let's pray. Let's read the scriptures. Let's get it down into our soul. Let's belong to the small group. Let's serve others. Let's do this. Let's start letting Jesus' template be ours for life. Close your eyes, bow your head, I'm gonna pray over you very quickly. Prayer team, if you wanna come up, Ben, you can come up, we're gonna end really quickly because I want to activate you. This is not a ministry moment, this is an activation moment. This is your moment to say yes to what God is stirring in your heart. And if you need to come up and pray with somebody, they're here, but what I'm really after today is activating. Don't sit, don't shrink back, don't pull back. It takes real, it takes real consistency to be unhurried. <laughs> it takes different actions than the one you're doing now, ones you're doing now. 
And so Lord, I pray that you would speak to every heart. Show them where they are missing it. Show them where they're including things that shouldn't be included. Show us how to prioritize these very basic things in our lives. Show us how to prioritize them even in our busy schedules, even as young parents or really busy executives or, 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 or somebody who works 60, 70 hours a week. Show us how to prioritize. Show us how to change our lives and pattern our lives after you. Slow down and find life. Find the miracle of life, fruitfulness, your grace. Lord, we ask you to forgive us Forgive me for being so consumed with what I want instead of thinking about what you want and patterning in my life after you. Show me, lead me, lead us, I pray. We look to you for these things in Jesus' name, amen.